And I invite you to Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. As we continue to study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through this gospel. We've reached uh, chapter 19 and, and when you find Matthew 19, if you would, mark Deuteronomy chapter 24. We'll look back to Deuteronomy chapter 24 and pick up one verse of scripture that's really the background of the discussion that's, that we find here in these verses. And I'll just go ahead and let you know there, uh, there are three points listed in your bulletin. Uh, we won't even finish the second point today. So this is a two-parter. So don't get nervous and look at your watch after point one and think we're going to be here till one o'clock. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to end on time, but we're going to come back next Sunday and finish up uh, finish up the study of this passage together. Deuteronomy, I mean Matthew 19, uh, verses 1 through 9. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And if you do not have a Bible, we have Bibles here in our vestibule in both of our overflows. We would love for you to get a copy of God's Word as our gift to you today. If you're able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of this portion of Scripture. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Thank you. The divorce question is asking the wrong question. And I think as we get into the study, you'll, you'll see that title will make more sense. The divorce question is not a bad question. It's not a wrong, wrong question in and of itself. It's just not where you start. It's the wrong place to start. That's what I mean by that title, and we'll, we'll see that as we study this text together. As always, let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us today. Father, we do love you and praise you. We give you glory today for life and health and salvation 
for Christ our Savior, for the Word of God, for the Spirit of God that lives in us, for a new day, a new week, to be able to gather together as your people and to worship together, to be able to sit under your Word and learn and be equipped and challenged and convicted and encouraged to feed upon your eternal truth and for our faith to be strengthened and for us to be spiritually ready and prepared to enter into a brand new week and all that takes place when we assemble together as you build your church We give you glory for that. We give you praise. We ask for your help today. Lord, oftentimes your word is sufficient not only for salvation, but for life, for real life, for living in this fallen world. And so there are oftentimes in Scripture we find things that are difficult to talk about because life is difficult to talk about and Scripture is for life. It's not an easy subject. Certainly not uh, an enjoyable experience. And really for those reasons, we, we deeply need to hear truth concerning divorce. We, we need to be guided by your word and not the culture and not our feelings and we absolutely need this, even though it's, it's not fun, it's not comfortable, but it's how we grow when we just keep submitting to your word and keep embracing it and pouring it into our lives. It's how we become more like Christ, and Lord, we know you desire our marriages to be pictures of the gospel of Christ and the church, so we need this. We, we really need this. Help us, Father. May your, may your word be clear and, and the communication, Lord, that takes place from my mouth, may, may every word be honoring to you and according to your word. And, and then shape us, Lord. Build us. Help us. That from this point forward, our marriages would bring you glory and honor and bring us the joy and and the fulfillment that you desire as they are to demonstrate Christ and the church. So we give ourselves to you during this time, Lord, to to work your perfect will in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know of any pastor who enjoys preaching a sermon on divorce. If uh, you line a group of pastors up and say, pick what, what, what's the subject that you would most want to preach on or whatever, this, not, this is not going to be it. In the same way, I don't know of any church attender, I don't know of any church member that enjoys coming and listening to a sermon on divorce. So it's a, it's a difficult day in both, both ways. Divorce is such a common, easily accessible, widely accepted practice today. We've all been touched by it in some way. 
Some of us here today have personally experienced it. We've walked through a divorce. Most people who have been divorced would rather forget it. That's why they really don't enjoy coming to church to hear about it. They'd just rather forget it. It's understandable. It can be very ugly and brutal and messy and hurtful, damaging, embarrassing, all of those negative things. Some divorcees have compared it to kind of feels like death because that two becoming one union in marriage has been ripped apart by divorce just as death separates that union as well. It kind of, kind of feels the same because the damage done to that marital union as God intended. And if you haven't personally experienced it, you probably know someone who has. Your heart probably goes out to them as they've walked through this and you've watched them walk through it and you've prayed with them through it and it was just difficult, it was hurtful, it was nasty at times. Maybe it was a family member, maybe a close friend. Everyone agrees it's just not a good thing. And it should be avoided if at all possible. The sad reality is we live in a fallen world and it's just not avoided. So I want each of you to hear me clearly today. My, my purpose in preaching this message is not to bury anyone under a load of guilt or to cause any further pain or to increase any harm. And here's my purpose and intention for us being in this passage today. We need to hear what the Bible says, what God says about divorce. We need to hear what the Bible says, what God says about marriage so that as his people we might yield our lives to God's view of these things and our marriages then our current marriages and our and our future marriages so if you're sitting here and you're single and maybe you're in the, the youth group or our college and career and you're thinking well this doesn't apply to me absolutely this applies to you because we're talking about your future, how to view your future marriage. And if we can do that, if we can yield our lives and our marriages and our future marriages to God, as believers, as husbands and wives, we can avoid going through this horrible experience of divorce. Our society, though, attempts in every way to make it commonplace and normal. They want to remove all negative components to uh, divorce, and that's no surprise. The world always seeks to normalize what the Bible condemns. It always seeks to make okay what the Bible says is wrong. We've made divorce far too easy with no-fault divorce, and we've gutted the meaning and the purpose of marriage. If you're going to make divorce mean nothing, you've got to make marriage mean nothing. And that's what we've done in a large part. So the world has come up with two solutions for marriage that fits their view of marriage and divorce. And the first solution, of course, is, well, you've got to live together. You've got to cohabitate. You've got to engage in premarital relations before marriage. 
You got to get to know one another before you say, I do. You have to, the rationale, of course, is you have to find out if you're compatible before you enter into this serious thing of marriage, which, of course, makes marriage not that serious if you've already engaged in everything about marriage before you have marriage. We know that's not the solution for believers. The Bible calls this fornication. And fornication is a form of sexual immorality just as adultery and just as homosexuality are forms of sexual immorality. The Bible calls us to give our lives to Christ as fiancés, as husbands and wives in everything. In fact, it's, it's the learning how to be compatible. The question is not, can, are we compatible? The question is, when, when God brings the two together to be one, the question becomes, how do we learn how to be compatible? In other words, that's the whole process of marriage. That's where God grows us and teaches us and changes us into his likeness. That too becoming one is a lifelong process. All of this is fresh in my mind. Last Saturday we were in California and I was preaching a wedding for a young lady, a young friend of ours who her and her husband decided to to do things God's way in their marriage the second solution the world offers of course is what what are called starter marriages I'm sure you've heard that phrase starter marriage so you have starter homes that's that's not going to be your permanent home that's just your starter home you you try out home for a while you try out mortgage payments for a while you try out whatever it is landscaping whatever it is for a while and you, and you make plans in the starter home for your permanent home for your next home for your second home for your usually larger home well kind of in the same way you you learn about marriage in the first one and you take those lessons into the second marriage and the second marriage is actually the one you're preparing for. You're using this first marriage to get ready for that second marriage. That's going to be the better one. That's going to be the permanent one. That's going to be the nicer one. And of course, the problems with this world, worldly view of marriage are so numerous. Not only are we setting ourselves up for divorce from the beginning, but we've already missed the biblical picture of marriage completely. And now we are actually planning, we're actually expecting to involve ourselves in adultery. So the point is, no matter what, what other plan you can come up with concerning marriage or concerning divorce, when, whenever we depart from Scripture, whenever our, our ideas depart from Scripture, we are setting ourselves up to go down the road of sin and to reap the consequences that sin produces. There are always consequences, no matter how normal we try to make it, no matter how easy we try to portray it, there are always consequences to departing from God's will and purpose. 
Personally, I don't marry couples who are living together or engaging in premarital relations, by the way. I don't marry many people, by the way. The reason is we shouldn't ask God to bless our rebellion. God doesn't bless rebellion. We should first repent and then ask God to bless, and he will. God doesn't bless our sin. He corrects our sin. If we are truly in the faith, he will correct it. And many times that correction occurs by God just simply allowing us to live with the consequences of preferring our own way to God's way. I'll give you a story of this. I remember counseling a couple in the first church that I pastored, and they were living together at the time, and they they were attending the church where I pastored, and they were both professing Christ, and they wanted to get married. So the first subject that we discussed was salvation. What does it mean to know Christ? What does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to honor Christ in our lives? And the second subject we discussed was entering into marriage God's way rather than our way. We talked about what it means to come before God and come into the church and the wedding be worship and asking God's blessings on this union and trusting God's blessings on this marriage and all of these things. We talked about what, what a wedding means and what God's purpose is. So I counseled them to separate for three months. The church would get involved and help out in any way. Separate from one another for three months. Commit to maintaining their purity during this time. Give themselves to the Lord. Repent. Commit their lives to the Lord. Commit their marriage to the Lord. And then we could come together on their wedding day and celebrate and enjoy God's blessings on a union that is coming together to honor the Lord with their lives and with their lives together and on this day of worship before the Lord. And the young lady was all for it. She loved the idea, and that's usually the case. Ladies, if your fiancé truly loves the Lord, he will want to treat you with respect as a daughter of God. Never forget that. Never forget that. I hope there's some more ladies in our, younger ladies in our overflows that are hearing this message today. If he won't honor you before marriage, he won't after marriage. The young man, he didn't like this, at first, he didn't like this counsel at all. Oh, you don't understand, Pastor. I love her too much. I can't possibly be apart from her for three months. And so I told him, if you will honor the Lord and submit to God's will for your life and for her life, the one you say you love so much, do you want her following the Lord or do you want her sinning before the Lord? 
Do you want her holy and blameless and pure before the Lord? Or do you want to be a cause of her destruction before the Lord? Do you want her reaping consequences of the sin that you're leading her into? Or do you want her to grow in holiness and purity before God? Which do you want? And can you give three months to honor the Lord and see him honor your marriage and your union? So after much prayer and more counsel, he finally agreed. I married them over 15 years ago. And they have a wonderful marriage today and a beautiful family. So all that to say this. Let's learn how to view marriage and divorce God's way. And then we will enjoy God's blessings. Notice, first of all, in verses 1 through 3, note the context of the question that's posed to Jesus. We need to understand where this question is coming from. Notice that Jesus is going around Judea. He's, he's healing sickness and large crowds are following him. They see the miraculous power of Christ and so they begin to listen to his message and, and, and everyone, it seems, begins to pour out uh, along the hillside. They're, they're following him. They're, they're embracing the message of salvation in him that he's proclaiming. And the Pharisees, of course could not stand his increasing rapid popularity. They couldn't, they couldn't stand the popularity Christ was gaining or the message that he was proclaiming. So they posed this question to him. Notice they're not seeking the truth to live by. They're rather seeking to trap him in, in some inconsistency with the accepted norms of the day or the traditions of, of, of their regulations or their understanding, interpretation. They're, they're trying to lead him into a trap. So as it appears, notice they're... They came to him and, and tested him by asking a question about divorce. So, so evidently, divorce has, has been a hot-button issue for a long time. It's been an uncomfortable subject for a long time. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, let's look back to Deuteronomy 24 and just kind of see some background of the verse that is, of course, being manipulated to be the background of this conversation. Deuteronomy chapter 24 and, and verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. Now, that's leading on into another discussion that we're not going to get into this morning. Just to show you, though, that verse 1 is where this discussion over in Matthew 19 is coming from. So let's go back over to Matthew 19. 
Now, thinking about that verse, if he finds some indecency in her, then he can write her a certificate of divorce and send her away and get her out of his house. Now, the conservative interpretation of that word indecency in her would be infidelity after engagement or impurity before marriage. In other words, if the husband discovered that his wife was not a virgin when they consummated their marriage. That was the conservative understanding of that word indecency. Supposedly, from the context, she had led him to believe she was, and he finds out that she's not. So he might send her, a, send her away, write her a certificate of divorce. That's Deuteronomy 24. Now remember, that the context of, in Jesus' day, is that marriage... That in the engagement period is considered part of the marriage. So that's why in the same gospel in Matthew chapter 1 verse 19, remember the story of Mary and Joseph. And remember when, when Mary shows up pregnant during their engagement period, so they haven't consummated the marriage, they're not, we would call married yet, but they're in this engagement period And Mary comes back to town and she's visibly pregnant and Joseph deduces what? That she's been unfaithful. And the Bible says in verse 19 of Matthew 1 that Joseph was a just man, a just man. And so he thought to send her away quietly. So Joseph was thinking, of course, of Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 1. That's why the Bible says he, he would have been just in doing that if, of course, what was happening was what he thought was happening. That's the conservative interpretation. The liberal interpretation of the word indecency could mean just about anything. In fact, it's been written that, that there, there was a, even a practice if, if the husband did not like the wife's cooking, And considered that indecent. He could write her. In other words, if there's just too much hamburger helper, it's just too indecent. He could write her a certificate of divorce, send her away, get her out of... In other words, no-fault divorce is nothing new. Not a new idea. Not a new practice. It seems this liberal view was a fairly popular view... At the time, I think the Pharisees may have been thinking, if we can get Jesus to speak against this view of divorce, he'll lose over half of his following because they've all been affected, more than likely, by this view of divorce. Commonplace, common practice, just as it is today, there's nothing new under the sun. Gospels tell us that you read through the Gospels and it's clear that many women flocked to the message of Jesus. Women were always first among his followers. And women would have been harmed by this liberal view of divorce more than any. They would have suffered terribly under this understanding of marriage and divorce. So so it was a trap. The whole question was a trap. 
But try as they may, they just simply can't learn. The Pharisees simply just can't learn. You can't trap God. So Jesus answers this secondary question of divorce by teaching on the primary question of marriage. See how Jesus relates to that question, answers that question. In other words, if you're asking about divorce first, you're asking the wrong question. First, you have to gain a godly view of marriage first. And then you'll have a godly view of divorce. Then your questions of divorce will be answered. If you'll go back and understand God's purpose and intention for marriage. So that brings us to the second point. Embrace God's view of marriage and you will eliminate divorce. Verses 4 through 6. So notice that Jesus says... They ask the question, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And verse 4 says, and he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, you see how he answers? He, He takes them right to the beginning. He takes them to the doctrine of marriage. He doesn't take them. It's interesting that when I was studying for this, I immediately thought, now we need to read Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. When Jesus was asked about this question, he thought, we need to read Genesis 1. And that's where he goes. And there in verse 4, he takes them back to the beginning. He takes us back to the creative order. If you want to know God's purpose and view of things, go back to the beginning. See how he created it and established it all from the beginning. That's his view. That's his intent. That's his purpose. Go back to creation. And that's where Jesus is taking us. By the way, we could settle a lot of issues and bring great clarity to a very confused culture that we live in if we would just go back to the beginning and embrace God's view. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? You can't read that verse. I know we're discussing marriage and divorce today, but in the context we live in today, we we can't read that verse and not draw some implications for our day, can we? Note the creator. Note that he said, have you not read? In other words, God's revealed it. God's given it. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning? In other words, there's a creator. And he who created them from the beginning made them. He created them male and female. And that's it. Male and female. There's so much that can be settled by just going back to the beginning. 
God, God made us male and female. We are created by a creator. That settles the abortion debate. That's it. We're created by a creator. God made us male and female. That settles the gender debate. Male, female, creator made us that way. Biological sex and gender are the same thing. They're not separate. Male and female. Gender's not fluid. It's binary. Male and female. Have you not read? God created it this way. God makes us this way, designs us this way. We wouldn't have to debate today about biological boys competing in girls' sports if we would embrace God's good design and purpose. Now, Jesus is essentially teaching the very same logical connection, the very same thing about divorce by pointing us to God's good design and purpose for marriage. So essentially, Jesus is saying, you wouldn't be asking that question like that. Can a man divorce his wife for any cause? You wouldn't be asking that question if you'd go back to the beginning and see God's view of marriage and embrace it and glorify God through it and enjoy the benefits of it. God's never designed anything that's not beneficial for us. And so he says in verse 5, therefore, now what he's doing, of course, here, when he says, have you not read, he made them male and female. He's kind of summarizing a lot that we find in Genesis chapter 1. And then when he gets to verse 5, he says, and said, therefore, he's quoting Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. But I want you to note how Jesus is saying this. He's, he's, teaching on Genesis chapter 1, and he's saying, have you not read that he who created, so he's speaking of God, he who created made them male and female and said, in other words, the one who created has also defined. The one who created has also revealed his purpose. The one who made them male and female said this about their union. And so in verse 5, we see that therefore, he's saying all of this work of God in creation and in creating a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and bringing them together, he summarizes what's going on here. What's happening here? Notice, you don't find these verses in the animal kingdom. And there's a lot of reproduction going on there. You don't find these verses in the plant kingdom. And there's a lot of reproduction going on there. But in humanity, male and female, mankind created in the image of God, you find this summary of what marriage is. God created Eve from part of Adam. That tells us a lot about what marriage is. 
God brought Eve to Adam. That tells us a lot about marriage. And then he sums up in these words, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. That's God's good purpose and design for marriage. There's three things that we see in that summary verse. We'll hit the first two, and then we'll pick up next week. The first thing, of course, he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, a man and a woman. God's design for marriage. One man, one woman. How about all those guys in the Bible, pastor, that had all these wives? They were sinning. And they reaped the consequences of it. And so did their families. And so did their children. So did their wives. One man, one woman, that's marriage. Then the second thing is a man should hold fast to his wife. God's bringing them together that he might hold fast to his wife. How do you hold fast? What does that mean? Because it can be misinterpreted. It doesn't mean to dominate. It doesn't mean to restrict. What does it mean to hold fast? Ephesians 5 tells us, doesn't it? Ephesians 5, Paul uses this very same verse, and he says, Now see there, men, you are to love your wives as Christ loves the church. That's how you hold fast. How do you hold fast, men and younger men? Younger men, y'all plan on getting married one day? This is, a, this is yes and this is no. I love that y'all sit there. I see a few back here, throughout here too. This is, this is for you too. If you're married or if you're younger, you're not married, or if you're planning older and planning to get married, whatever it is, this is you. How do you hold fast to your wife? Ephesians 5. Men, love your wives as Christ loves the church. How does Christ treat you? What has Christ done for you? What would Christ do for you? What does Christ do for you? How does Christ treat you? What would Christ not do to you? Heaven forbid that he would treat you this way. Then you don't treat her that way. It's not that hard. How does Christ love you? How has he sacrificed for you? What has he made for you? Paul goes on to say, you see what Christ has done for the church? Everything that he's done is to make her beautiful and pure and blameless and holy before the Lord. Now, men, that's the way we ought to be loving our wives in such a way that she becomes beautiful and holy and pure and blameless before the Lord. That's holding fast to your wife. 
We are to be the spiritual leader and sacrificial lover of our wives as Christ is to the church that she might be all that God intends for her to be before the Lord. So whatever Christ would do, do it. Whatever Christ would not dare do to his children, don't do it. By the way, guys, you can't hold fast to your wife and look at pornography. Can't do it. Married men, you can't do it. Single guys, you won't be able to do it. Sever that root now. Get rid of it now. Cut that right hand off now. Ladies, the opposite is true. If you present yourself on social media as provocative or unclothed, you won't attract a godly man who means to hold fast to you. You'll only attract men who mean to take from you, and they will take, and they will take, and they will take, and they will take. You either end up with a man who takes or a man who holds. And the way you present yourself oftentimes is who you end up with. It goes both ways. Ladies, you shouldn't be looking at pornography. I didn't think I'd ever have to say that as pastor. <laughs> Hold fast. Listen, men, you can't hold fast to your wife by pressuring her to be sexually active before marriage. If you don't put God first before marriage, you won't put him first in marriage. Of excuses for sinning against God before we enter into union and we don't realize that's just a device of Satan. That's just an excuse. Just be a dick. That's just a rationale. He'll give you one before marriage, and he'll give you one after marriage. It'll just be a different one available. Before marriage, you're waiting on marriage. After marriage, there's hunt. How does Christ treat his bride? Does he labor in love to make her pure and holy or does Christ just simply want to satisfy his own desires and use whoever he can use to do so? Wow. See, when you start answering that divorce question by answering that marriage question, it really digs down to all of us where... We are. And once again, in marriage, we hold fast to one another. I like how the scripture uses that language. God uses that language about a man holding fast to his wife. You know why? Exactly what we've been talking about. Because over in Ephesians, Paul says, now marriage is actually, guess what? Marriage is actually a picture of Christ and the church. How does Christ hold his bride fast? 
We, we've sung a song about that recently, haven't we? New song. I love it. We need to sing that one again, don't we? He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. Before we talk about divorce next week, we need to talk about marriage. And those of us who are married might need to recommit some things. And those of us who plan to be married one day might need to recommit some things and make sure we're doing this God's way if we want God's blessings. Let's pray. Lord, we're all broken. We're all sinful. We all need healing. We all need forgiveness. We all need repentance. We all need grace. There's nobody here better than the other. We need you. And we need your help and your grace and your, uh, your work in our lives and your spirit and your word at work and the encouragement of the fellowship of the saints. We need all of those things, Lord, that our marriages might shine as demonstrations of the gospel, as pictures of the gospel. So as men, we need to be repentant and we need to be renewed and as women we need to be repentant and we need to be renewed and we need father your work in our lives that we might enjoy all that you intend in our marriages and our high schoolers and our college age and our young adults who are have not yet married and desire to be married one day, looking forward to, may have already set a wedding date. There's so much work to be done in our lives that we might prepare ourselves to honor you and glorify you, Lord. And it begins today. It begins today because as Jesus says, have you not read? Well, we've read. Now we need to hear. And we need your help to do. Lord, work in all of us. There's room in all of us to improve and to be holy before you. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.